Before we get started today, I'd like to talk about our new Buy Me A Coffee memberships. Now, when you subscribe monthly for the price of one to five coffees, you also get exclusive benefits like special newsletters, behind-the-scenes content, the ability to ask questions directly to us, as well as a special shout-out here on our podcast. And today I want to thank our first members on Buy Me A Coffee, Anderson da Silva, Kat Kramer, and Fra. Thank you all very, very much. You too should join them and support independent journalism. Head to Buy Me A Coffee and subscribe, and starting next week, you can hear your name on Explaining Brazil. If you cannot support us on a monthly basis, you can still tip us a coffee to give us the energy we need to cover a country as complex as Brazil and a region as complex as Latin America. Head to buymeacoffee.com slash report to find out more. If you read the Brazilian report, then you know that for many months the idea of a political third way, in scare quotes, has been anything but viable in the 2022 presidential election. There are many issues with the third way. The first problem is that there are, or at least there were until last week, too many candidates, and each holds the other back from rallying many troops. Another is that they repeatedly try to make a false equivalence between far-right President Jair Bolsonaro Não queiram a minha cadeira. and Lula, the center-left former president who leads all polls. That stance alienates part of the electorate that understands that Lula, for all of his flaws, and there are many, never poses a real threat to Brazilian democracy. And then there is the cardinal sin of political ineptitude. The three main, quote, third-way names are from right to left, former judge Sergio Moro, former São Paulo governor João Doria, and former lawmaker Ciro Gomes. All of them have burned bridges with forces across the political spectrum. Their moves lead the electorate to see them more as mavericks than actual credible presidential options. Last week, a series of twists and turns essentially confirmed the implosion of the Brazilian third way and settled the race as being between just Bolsonaro and Lula. My name is Gustavo Ribeiro, I'm the editor-in-chief of the Brazilian Report. This is Explaining Brazil. We could say that the 2022 election underwent a 360-degree turn last week. That is, things changed a lot, but eventually pieces were back on the chessboard just as they were originally. Everything changed, but nothing really changed. Presidential hopefuls João Doria and Sergio Moro, both of whom expect to represent the democratic right-wing in October, threatened to pull out of the race. Then they gave up on giving up and said they will keep their names in the hat. But neither has support from their own ranks. Amanda Aldi, welcome back to the show. 
Hi, Gustavo. Thanks for having me. So, Amanda, tell our listeners what happened in the presidential landscape last year. Sure. So, let's start with João Doria, now the former governor of São Paulo. Doria's presidential bid began in 2016, when he entered politics and already showed signs that he was aiming for the top job. That year, he ran for the São Paulo mayor's office and won in a surprising first round landslide. Muito obrigado a todos vocês, aos dirigentes, aos militantes, aos parlamentares e aos vereadores que foram eleitos também hoje. Two years into office, he resigned in order to run for the governor's job. He won again, but this time by a razor thin margin. And from day one, Dory was aiming for yet another climb up the greasy pole. So how did he fare in three years in office and with a pandemic to deal with on top of it? As a governor, Dória has a respectable legacy to his name. He was the one who first brought COVID vaccines to Brazil. São Paulo lança o plano estadual de imunização contra a COVID-19. And forced President Bolsonaro out of his anti-vax ways. He has advanced on plans to depollute the city's main rivers, and he led an economy that outperformed the rest of Brazil. Well, one can argue that the fact São Paulo's economy is a massive powerhouse goes a long way toward making things easier for him. Right, but still, there's a resume to defend. And how has Doria fared? His polling numbers are pedestrian. Uh, just like 2%. Doria is unpopular with his own constituents in Sao Paulo and can seem to make voters nationwide like him. Why not? Political scientists say that Doria's weak spot is not necessarily his jobs as a public administrator, but rather his personality and demeanor. Right, and how so? Well, for starters, Doria is unpopular among politicians. His path from outsider to mayor to governor and now presidential candidate was forged by pushing aside many of the people who helped along the way. He's known by allies as an opportunist who will betray anyone if he thinks it will benefit him. So, very few politicians in the countryside had ever felt compelled to push Doria's name to their constituents, you know. And another point is that Doria talks, walks, and looks very elite. For the average person, Doria is really not relatable. You see, on a trip to a small city in the poor Brazilian northeast, he wanted to talk about innovation and asked anyone who had been to Dubai to raise their hands. Quem aqui já foi a Dubai? Se puder levantar o braço. Alguém já teve essa oportunidade? É uma transformação. And remember, this is a very poor city in a already very poor region. Now, Amanda, if that is so unelectable in a nationwide race, why would his party, the Brazilian Social Democracy Party, or the PSDB, as we call it in Brazil, launched his candidacy in the first place. Last year, the party held primaries between him and Eduardo Leite, the former governor of Rio Grande do Sul. 
Dory won in a race in which both sides accused the other of vote buying. So the vote didn't settle the issue, and Leite continues to throw his hat in the ring, backed by a wing of the party that argues that the party convention should overturn the primary results, if not with him as the candidate, at least as a running mate in the place of Simone Tebet, a senator who has received lots of plaudits, but who lacks name recognition and polls at around 1%. Right. So, Doria was like sensing the sharks in the water, and he decided to go for the nuclear option. And what would that be in this context? Before you can explain what happened, listeners need to understand that in Brazil... A public official can only stay in office and run for election if they are going for re-election. Otherwise, they have to step down six months prior to election day, a deadline that expired on Saturday, April the 2nd. Last Thursday, Doria wrote an op-ed in Brazil's biggest newspaper, thanking his constituents and announcing he would resign in order to run for president. Then, just hours later, a rumor began spreading that he was giving up on the top job. As informações dão conta de que Dória avalia desistir da campanha presidencial. According to these rumors, Dória would stay in office but not run for re-election or for the presidency. And instead, just see out his four-year term and then go back to his private life. Okay, but why would that be a nuclear option? Because it would implode the PSDB São Paulo coalition. Dória had an accord with his lieutenant governor, Rodrigo Garcia, to step down and allow Garcia to run for governor. He would benefit from the media coverage that a governor would have, while having time to distance himself from Dória and the latter's massive rejection rate. By staying put, Doria would kill any chances the still unknown Garcia would have, and the PSDB would almost certainly lose São Paulo, a state it has governed for 27 plus years. But? But then, Doria got his way, at least on paper. I mean, literally on paper. The PSDB chairman wrote a letter saying that the party was committed to Doria as its presidential nominee, and with that piece of paper, Doria gave up on giving up and decided to stay the original course. He left office and declared he was running for president as planned. Não houve desistência. Houve sim um planejamento para que pudéssemos ter aquilo que conseguimos, o apoio explícito do PSDB através do seu presidente Bruno Araújo. A carta que ele assinou hoje não não deixa nenhuma dúvida. Right, but Amanda, if this move was rooted in his lack of support within the party, then coercing his allies into acting his way might not be the best way to win their loyalty, right? No, no, of course not. <laughs> Just 24 hours later, the party chairman said the letter committing to Doria was just a piece of paper and that actions mean more than words. Eduardo Leite, who left the Rio Grande do Sul governor's office in the hopes of running for president, is still maneuvering behind the scenes. And, of course, voters are still not fond of Doria. 
Now, the PSDB was the main right-of-center party in Brazil for 20-plus years, and now everything the party does seems only to push it further and further into irrelevance. That would be especially the case if the party loses Sao Paulo. The polls show the center-left and the far-right as the early front-runners, and with gubernatorial races becoming more and more nationalized, the polarization between Lula and Jair Bolsonaro could be replicated by proxy in the Sao Paulo gubernatorial race. And after the break, let's talk about the other drama on the democratic right. We'll be right back. We at The Brazilian Report have launched an in-depth report telling you everything you need to know to prepare yourself for this year in Brazil. You might already know that Brazil will elect a new president in October, and there are several other issues you should be aware of, such as the impacts of China's recent transformations on Brazil, the extreme climate events that will affect Brazilian agriculture, the state of congressional elections, and which way the economy is likely to go. You can purchase the report on our website and all of our listeners can enjoy a special 22% discount. Just use the promo code EXPLAINING22. We're back with Amanda Aldi, Brasilia correspondent for the Brazilian Report. So, Amanda, what about Sergio Moro? So, on Thursday, just as the Dória drama was unfolding, news broke that Sergio Moro, the former federal judge who oversaw Operation Car Wash, would be changing parties and dropping out of the presidential race. Now, Moro is polling much better than Dória, at 8%, but still miles behind Lula and Bolsonaro. Besides, Moro felt as if he didn't have the full support of his then-party Podemos. And why not? Well, Podemos did treat Moro well, paying him and his wife each a half to age. The party did want Moro as a presidential candidate, as he would be a sort of vote magnet for many congressional and local candidates. But at the end of the day, the party was against breaking the bank for a candidate that was not cracking double digits. And that irritated Moro a lot. And why hasn't Moro become more competitive? Because I'm old enough to remember 2015 when Moro was one of the most popular figures in Brazil and a hero to conservatives. Well, you know, like Dória, Moro has made a lot of enemies along the way. He came to prominence in 2014-2015 for his role as the lead judge in the massive anti-corruption task force, known as Operation Car Wash. Moro's decisions embarrassed politicians and billionaires, putting people like that in handcuffs for the first time ever. That made him persona non grata among politicians, who sent Moro tried to criminalize their craft. But Operation Car Wash was also tarnished by controversy. 
leaks of personal messages exchanged between persecutors and Moro showed he worked more as a member of the persecution team than a neutral umpire, which is how a judge must conduct himself. I mean, you would know, right? You were part of the team that unveiled these messages. Yeah, that's true. And these messages dented Moro's reputation with moderate folks who backed the anti-corruption fight. But not at all costs. Then Moro decided to join the cabinet of Jair Bolsonaro, the candidate who benefited most from Operation Car Wash, especially because Lula, who led polls at the beginning of the race, was incarcerated and deemed ineligible for office. So, in April 2020, Moro left the administration in an explosive fashion, by accusing Jair Bolsonaro of trying to tamper with federal probes. Eu, infelizmente, não tenho como persistir com o compromisso que eu assumi sem que eu tenha condições de trabalho, sem que eu tenha condições de preservar a autonomia. That's when he also lost fair right voters who saw the move as a betrayal of Bolsonaro. Now, it's funny because Moto has made all the wrong decisions along the way, hasn't he? If he had wanted to be president, he w should have run in 2018. That's when voters were driven by the spirit of fighting corruption. But now the economy is the key factor in voters' minds, and Moto doesn't seem to be able to articulate many ideas that are not just about the justice system or about fighting corruption. I mean, but I digress. Amanda, you were saying that Moro switched parties, so he left Podemos. Where did he go next? Moro found harbor in União Brasil, a recently created right-wing party, a result of a fusion between Democratas, a traditional conservative force, and the Social Liberal Party, under whose banner Jair Bolsonaro ran in 2018. But here's the catch. The party says its proposal was only for Moro to switch allegiances in order to run for Congress representing the state of São Paulo, but that the presidency was never on the table. So, when announcing his move, Moro says he was, at that moment, giving up on his presidential hopes. And there's a but coming here too, right? Yeah, indeed. <laughs> A day later, Moro says he hadn't given up on anything, especially on his dream of changing Brazil. Preciso esclarecer a todos que eu não desisti de nada, muito menos de meu sonho de mudar o Brasil. Pelo contrário. So, naming other presidential hopefuls, he asked for others to make, quote, selfless acts in order to create an unifying candidacy of the democratic right. Now, what is funny is that everyone wants the other guy to be the selfless one, right? Exactly. But Moro's move to backtrack his backtracking sparked fury within his new party. Some even threatened to nullify his joining of the party. And União Brasil said on multiple occasions that the plan is for Moro to run in São Paulo, either for the Senate or for the House. While Moro lacks the appeal for a presidential run, he would be a tremendous candidate for Congress. And at this point, Moro cannot just simply switch parties once more, can he? The deadline for settling on a new political group ended on April the 2nd, 
So Morus is stuck in a party which wants nothing to do with his presidential ambitions. Unless the post suggests a miraculous surge for Moro, which at this point is highly unlikely, it is a candidacy that has sunk without even setting sail. And why is the democratic right-wing struggling so much to get on its feet? I mean, they have to go up against Brazil's two most popular politicians, who happens to be also Brazil's most rejected figures. So this creates a phenomenon in which Lula is the only truly competitive anti-Bolsonaro candidate, and Bolsonaro is the only truly competitive anti-Lula candidate. So many voters are more motivated by blocking someone rather than choosing the guy they most identify with. So if you want nothing to do with Lula, it makes more sense to support President Bolsonaro and vice versa. And this third-way candidates, they don't help themselves, do they? No, actually they don't. At every step of the way, they move erratically, without focus. It is too much drama for too little voting potential. Now, the so-called third way announced for May 18th the announcement of a single united candidacy. But at this point, more than ever, the 2022 election is said to be a two-horse race. And in a way, presidential elections have always come down to a decision between the Workers' Party and the anti-Workers' Party, which is now best embodied by Bolsonaro, right? Yeah, I mean, unless we have one of those black swan events that is something so unpredictable that it can be accounted for, that's the outlook for the race. Amanda, thank you very much. Thank you, Gustavo. Bye-bye. Also regarding the 2022 election, former São Paulo governor Geraldo Alckmin is set to be formally appointed as Lula's running mate. Meanwhile, President Jair Bolsonaro will likely name former Defense Minister Walter Braga Neto as his VP nominee. Braga Neto last week celebrated the 1964 military coup as a milestone of, quote, political evolution for Brazil. Unsurprisingly, the minister failed to mention the state-sponsored torture and killings carried out by the 21-year-long dictatorship, which also closed Congress and censored the press. President Bolsonaro has arguably been Brazil's most vocal supporter of the military dictatorship, and he once said the general's biggest mistake was, quote, torturing without killing, and took to the congressional stand to defend a known torturer. Last year, his administration went to the courts for the right to celebrate the coup and won. Many in Brasilia fear that if Bolsonaro loses, he will try to lead an uprising of military and police forces to barricade himself in office. And by the way, the Brazilian report will launch a service to monitor the election, its twists and turns, and keep you abreast of everything that may move the needle one way or the other. We will also follow debates closely and break them down by candidate and issue. And if you're interested in finding out more, please contact us by emailing hello at brazilian.report. That's hello at brazilian.report. And if you like explaining Brazil, please drop us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts. It takes only a second and it will help more people find out about this show Or, even better, you can sign up to the Brazilian Report 
the journalistic engine behind this podcast. We offer a seven-day free trial, no strings attached, which gives you access to the website for a week without the need to input any credit card details whatsoever. I'm Gustavo Ribeiro. Thanks for listening. See you next week.